the best thing to do as a farmer right now is start keeping good records. Even if it's not necessarily carbon, there's going to be other opportunities, I think, out there for extra revenue streams for farmers, and that's going to be a big thing. Welcome to the Future Faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions, with our very own Tom Daniel, Director of Retail Sustainable Ag, and Dr. Sally Fliss, Senior Manager, Sustainability Field. This is your opportunity to learn about the next horizon in sustainable agriculture for growers, for partners, for the planet. To us, it's not about changing what's always worked. It's about continuing to do the little things that make a big impact. On this week's episode, Jack Broadshog, Nutrient Ag Solutions Senior Principal Digital Agronomist, joins us to discuss the value, potential complexities, and needed future advancements of farm data collection and analysis. But if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your favorite app. Also, make sure you follow Nutrient Ag Solutions on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Dusty Weiss, and it's time once again to introduce Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss. And Tom and Sally, in all our episodes so far, we've talked about the opportunities in carbon markets. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there's value in these practices, whether you can get into those markets or not. And Tom, I heard that you were on a call yesterday where this came up. Yeah, I definitely did, Dusty. Uh, it was a pretty intense call, is the way I'll describe it today. But it was an interesting call because it was from diverse people. There were some uh, grower interests on the call. There were some different different industry perspectives around carbon. But one of the key components that came out of the whole discussion is that cover crops and no-till are the two practices that we keep mentioning all the time. And we've got to understand that if we're trying to implement those two practices specifically to get into some type of revenue type payment like carbon or water quality or whatever, then we really miss sight of what the actual purpose of those farmer practice changes are. Those farmer practice changes have a lot more impact on the farm operation than just trying to generate a revenue. And I know, Sally, we've had multiple discussions with growers about let's not lose focus as to what the purpose of those farmer practice changes are. Yeah, for sure, Tom. And we've got a lot of growers that we're working with that are already doing no-till or cover crop or other conservation practices in the field because they saw the value in implementing these practices. I mean, I know you've got some NRCS projects you're working with, with RCPP dollars and whatnot. But when we talked to growers and some programs I worked in previously, we asked them, you know, did you implement these practices because you got dollars from NRCS or you got outside funding? And at least half the growers most of the time said, no, they just implemented them because they saw the value and they wanted to make the right decision and they've stuck with them because they continue to see those improved soil health aspects, water infiltration, water holding capacity, reduced soil loss, better crop performance. I think one of the things that we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, we got to remember there are some challenges or downsides to some of these. You have to change your pest management or worry about some disease suppression a little bit differently. If you go to say a no-till system or in cover crops, we talked about, you know, thinking about changing that pesticide application or having to deal with something like slugs, but generally the positives outweigh the negatives and it's just getting on the right learning curve for implementing these practices successfully. 
Yeah, and Sally, you use the term learning curve, and it definitely is. It's not something that I would recommend any grower implement 100% of his farm, for instance, to go to cover crops in one year. You need to learn what unique things are going to occur when you start implementing cover crops. You know, what does it mean to terminate the crop, or do I use a winter kill type cover crop? There's just a lot of learnings that have to be determined out of this. So I would never recommend a grower that's farming a significant number of acres to implement these practices on every acre. These are things he starts slow with, learns with, and then over time he uh, understands how he can use these. You know, most growers are implementing cover crop today or no-till specifically because it fits the need for productivity on the farm. So they're trying to get to a return on investment and ROI is the key component for uh, being sustainably economically on the farm. So my question to you is, should ROI be the number one thing that we're looking at when we're implementing implementing any practice change on the farm, not just no-till or cover crop, but does it give us a return on the amount of investment that we're putting into it? I think it should always be a part of the discussion, Tom, but sometimes it's really hard to get at an ROI for a specific practice. So in my previous work, we wanted to look at what's the return on investment of implementing the 4R practices. So right source, rate timing, and placement of nutrient applications. So we shied away from going on real return on investment. I think some of the challenges there, we use ROI or return on investment as kind of an interchangeable term when we may not really be calculating a full return on investment all the time. But we ended up looking at changing costs instead because then we could really focus on, say, if the grower changed from applying all their fertilizer as anhydrous in the fall to a two or three split application in season and made some rate adjustments, maybe added different products to that system. What was the change in what it cost him to produce that crop versus the previous year? Because, you know, as you know, Tom, there's so many factors that are going to impact crop yield. And I was just too hesitant to say that just because we made that for our nitrogen management practice change, we had that return on investment when crop yield could have been better that next year for weather, for pest, for a whole list of other reasons besides just changes in nitrogen management. Well, and Sally, I think you would agree that decisions we make around nitrogen usage or other nutrient usages on the farm are going to be unique every year. I mean, there's going to be years that we have adequate rainfall and be years that we don't. And we're going to make changes to the way we farm those years based upon what the environment gives us for those years. So I think we always want to be focused on ROI. And it's not all about just reducing something. It's about how are we maximizing the input that we're putting on to making sure we're getting the full benefit from it for the crop we're raising that year. I do have to ask you another question. Yesterday's call for me, you know, I know there's a lot of confusion around this call carbon market today. And Dusty, I'm kind of bringing the call back to carbon, okay? But there's a lot of confusion around carbon today. And trust me, on that call yesterday, even when we tried to bring clarity to it, that we don't increase the amount of confusion about carbon. There was a someone on the call yesterday that said that we didn't need to restrict tillage on the farm that it truly didn't have an impact on carbon, which I thought was a unique statement when I believe that all of the science tells us today that every time we till the field, do we not release carbon into the atmosphere when we apply tillage? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing we get penalized for is you turn that ground over and you get different types of bacteria that become active when you turn the ground over versus when you leave it the way it is. And so you change that whole cycle because of that exposure to oxygen, right? And so those bacteria work faster than they were working when they were under the ground and you get more carbon release because they start breaking down that material faster than when we leave it kind of in place. So yeah, it's an interesting comment to hear that tillage change isn't going to make a difference. I would say though, there are some places that are really sandy soil areas. Changing tillage is probably never really going to change your soil organic carbon. I think that goes back to previous conversations we've had where, you know, there's parts of the country where soil organic carbon sequestration are just never going to be a thing because you've got the wrong soil type, you've got too much moisture, you've got warm temperatures all the time. So there's definitely places where the impact of tillage on soil organic carbon are going to be different, but in general, reduced tillage is going to be good for your system. Not just carbon in the soil, but to keep the soil where you want it to keep the stuff that you're applying where you want it. You know, there's lots more benefits than just that carbon piece, like we were saying. To me, I think it goes back to our discussions we've always had. It's not about one single practice or one single farm practice change. It's about how all of it fits together in that whole acre solution, Mm -hmm. right? How do we bring all of those things together? And so I think about in my childhood in Kentucky, we raised a lot of winter wheat. And, you know, farmers did not have the technology at one time to be able to really no-till well into that wheat cover after the wheat harvest happened. So what did we do? Well, there was lots of smoke in my area during that time, Sally, and we saw a lot of wheat fields after the wheat harvest. We burned all the straw off. Now, today, technology gives us a whole new way to do that and a better way to do that. So we don't see that as much anymore because, you know, the burning off of the straw was just a, we're losing all the benefits of everything that we've attempted to do with having no-till and having a crop harvest that came off and actually a new planting into that. So we lose all those benefits. So technologies are developing that's going to make us much better in this space over time for sure. Well, and Tom, you certainly mentioned that there's a lot of confusion around carbon right now. And one thing that helps reduce that confusion and one thing that really helps you dial in that whole acre solution that you mentioned is having a good data record of your farming practices and letting the data inform those practices. And so coming up after the break here, we're going to talk to one of Nutrient's top experts on digital agronomy. That's coming up in a moment here on The Future Faster. FarmSmart is the core of Nutrient Ag Solutions' sustainable agriculture offerings, leading the field with growers to record positive environmental impacts while identifying and embracing new revenue streams. In leveraging practices and products and recording your outcomes, your reward for making informed agronomic decisions will be waiting for you in our digital sustainability platform. The data you input can help set a baseline, identify opportunities for continued improvement, and help qualify you for market access opportunities. We're here to maximize incentives and help ensure the legacy of your operation. Getting started with FarmSmart is easy. Log in or create an account with Agrable, then track your data and get paid. Getting started now means we can get to the future faster. FarmSmart, where sustainability meets opportunity. NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. 
This is The Future Faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions. I'm Dusty Weiss, along with Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss, and we're joined now by Jack Broadshock, Senior Principal Digital Agronomist here at Nutrient Ag Solutions. Jack, thanks for joining us. You've been working in digital agronomy for a while now all across the industry. So what do you see as the value of farm data in today's discussions around carbon and other potential farm revenue opportunities? You know, that's a really good question, Dusty, and happy to be on the podcast here. You know, I think farm data has really been something that is traditionally used for making precision ag recommendations, right? Making a nitrogen recommendation, making a seed recommendation. There's more smart seed tools where you can select a hybrid that's best for an environment. And carbon is just another piece of that. But I really look at carbon as honestly the first time that farmers can actually put a value on their data. Every farmer all the time when you're talking about these large companies and getting data, they say, well, there's some value to my data. Carbon is actually putting a value to some extent on that data, right? That farmer is getting paid for that data and that's something that's new. So again, we talk about the value of carbon and obviously that's what we're really incentivizing as a brand new practice, but this does put a value on that data. And so this is that first time we can actually put a value on that data for that farmer. So Jack, you and I have been spending the last couple of months working with growers that are enrolled in various different pilots that we've got going with Nutrient Ag Solutions. And I've had a few, you've probably had a few too that have looked at the volume of data that we need in order to do that initial enrollment in a carbon pilot so that we can calculate accurately what their carbon metrics are, what impact they're having. I've had a couple that just laughed at me on the phone and said, yeah, I'm not doing that for the price you're offering per acre. It's not worth it. How have you guided some of those conversations you've had or what are some of the other values that we can know to communicate to growers of doing that data entry beyond just this carbon market piece. Yeah. So how farmers have used data in the past is for an agronomic recommendation. And that does require a fair amount of data. Sometimes to make a precision seeding rec, you're asking for three years worth of yield data. And for some farmers, that's hard enough to get a spatial map for the last three years. And then you combine that with some soil testing maps and an imagery map. Carbon requires more data than anything else at this point, right? So you think of like the data funnel. The most data required for anything out there is going to be to qualify for a carbon program. So, you know, not surprising that you've gotten laughed at. I've gotten <laughs> laughed at, right? It's not fun with that data. And every farmer is a little different in how they keep records. So quite honestly, there's some farmers that probably aren't going to qualify. And some of their disqualification is because they maybe don't have good enough records. Now we say don't have good enough records. I think the big question is validation verification. So if you get audited on these carbon programs, how can you prove what you did? And that's why we need some of these really good records, not only to quantify your carbon calculation, but to verify that hey, I as a farmer did this and this is the proof that this is what my historical practices were. This is a new practice and this is how I can prove that this is a brand new practice. So I think the best recommendation I can have for farmers is that if you aren't keeping good records, start keeping good records, trying to keep digital records of it, whether that's in you know, aggregable, whether that's just keeping better records on an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, at least that's something we can work with. If you don't have good enough records today, quite honestly, it may disqualify you. We can work with you, see what you have. But I think that the big thing is, no matter what, there's an opportunity here for farmers to just start keeping better records and we can start trying to get you qualified down the road. 
Jack, when we talk about records, I can remember old school records were basically kept for tax reasons, right? So we kept records of receipts of purchases and things that we did that we turned over to a tax accountant at the end of the year. This is really entirely different, though. We're not talking about just purchase receipts and those type things. We're talking about actual farm practice tracking on the farm. And when I say farm practice, tillage and times across the field and all of those type things. And for honesty about this, an Excel spreadsheet's one place to start, but you really do need a digital platform to start recording these things. What are some things a grower should be looking for if he chooses to use a digital platform for recording his data? What are some things he probably should be looking for in the right platform? Tom, you're exactly right in terms of like most farmers at least keep good tax records and, you know, have those things. But what we're talking about for carbon, it's trying to track every pass across the field quite oftentimes, right? We need to track tillage practices. And so, again, when you talk about like geospatial data and using some of these geospatial platforms that are out there, whether it's like a climate field view, my John Deere, you have fields in our echelon platform, you have fields in Agrable which isn't quite geospatial, we can have field level data in there. That's really what we need to have is something that can track in the field at a field level, every pass across the field. Not even some of these other platforms necessarily have tillage. And that's a big one that Agrable does have. We can track some of those things and be able to quantify that in some of our carbon modeling calculations. So a lot of options out there, again, as nutrient and, you know, being for the grower here, we're not really partial to one or the other. As long as we have good records, we'll try to work with that grower and be able to get that data into Agrable one way or another, which is what we're using to quantify a lot of our carbon models and be able to get a value and get that grower qualified. So I think at this point, right, it's really just about tracking every pass across that field. Geospatial platforms are, are much preferred and there's a lot more other features there beyond carbon that are pretty cool to utilize. But really, we're just all about tracking every pass across the field so we can quantify that. And to the first part of your question, when you mentioned receipts, receipts are also going to be a part of this whole thing, right? Like one of the big things that these auditors are looking for is evidence. And so part of the evidence, if you don't have an as applied map for nitrogen, what they're going to look at is going to be receipts. So again, those are going to maybe come back and be something that auditors look at. It's not necessarily something you got to submit, but there is just a lot of overhead when it comes to kind of checking on these things in terms of evidence. So you mentioned quite a few different digital platforms that growers might be using. And we've interacted with growers that are probably using two or three of those at the same time. So what's one of the gaps, even though there's a lot of good tools out there in getting to where we need to be to submit an acre for a verified validated carbon credit? Well, one of the gaps from my position and Sally and Tom, you guys have also dealt with this, right? There's a lot of data out there there's a lot of different platforms out there. It's getting these platforms to talk to each other, which I really think is the biggest gap. Actually, if something's in an Excel spreadsheet, that's pretty straightforward. We can just look at that Excel spreadsheet, enter the data into Agrable, quantify it, and away we go. If the data's in a granular, if the data's in a My John Deere, if the data's in a climate field view, we want to work with that farmer, but that's their record keeping software. Today, we don't have connection points there. And again, this is something that is industry wide that everyone is trying to solve for. And growers who use some of these platforms know that it's oftentimes hard to get the data out and then into another platform. So that's part of a lot of these various platforms strategy for grower retention, right? Because it's a big pain in order to move your data out of a system. So I do think the industry is changing in that regard and there is more openness to 
to connect in and connect these various platforms so it's a lot easier to transfer data back and forth. But again, I think as growers, every grower should be an advocate for being able to make this a lot simpler. A lot of these platforms should be able to be connected. And if a grower wants to move things back and forth, there's opportunity there, right? So again, as Nutrien, we're all about whatever the grower wants to use. And if they want to participate in our carbon program, we're hoping to try to get more and more connections to these various platforms to make it simpler for those growers and limit the manual data entry, right? So I think the main thing too is Agrable and Nutrien, even if you don't have some of these geospatial platforms, right? You can manually enter that data. Again, we have to have some of that evidence, but if that evidence is even just a notepad where it was written down that this field was tilled on this date, that is evidence and that qualifies. So we're open to anybody that wants to manually enter data or, you know, hopefully once we get more connections into these various platforms, being able to just click a button and transfer that data over and quantify that carbon going forward. Jack, you have mentioned the Nutrient Ag Solutions tool of Agrable a few times now, and I don't think we've mentioned Agrable on the podcast before. And if we have, I'm sure we haven't really talked much about what it is. So can you give us a little more background on what Agrable is? How do you get signed up? What's the data requirements? And what do you get out for signing up for a tool like Agrable? Yeah, absolutely. So Agrable, as a standalone company, was purchased by Nutrient it was around three years ago as an acquisition. And it's really been our sustainability platform in Nutrien for the last three years. And we've expanded that now into being the carbon platform as well. So really, it's a great tool for record keeping. When I talk about using it as a sustainability platform in the past, and really still is currently used as a sustainability platform, we have API connections into field to market, as well as Cool Farm Alliance where a farmer can enter every pass across the field for a given year and get a sustainability report back from field to market, as well as Cool Farm Alliance with the various sustainability metrics on there. So a lot of value there, working with a lot of downstream companies for that purpose. But again, it's really about field record keeping. We have field story is the main feature there where you enter in your passes across the field, all the details, how much fertilizer was applied, when it was applied, what tillage and when, all those details are entered into there. But there's a number of different agronomic tools that are also involved in Agrable. So a lot of people are likely aware of our weather tools that are in Agrable. You, you can get rainfall by field. Uh, if you're subscribed to our email list, Eric Snodgrass has a number of great weather videos that get sent out to our mailing list. And we also have some agronomic tools. We have tractor time, which will tell you if your field is ready to be tilled or do any sort of other field operation on that field. And then we also have yield engine, which is a yield modeling engine provided there by Agrable. So some agronomic tools there, we're looking to expand some of those, really trying to get more modeling involved there in terms of nitrogen and then overall as a carbon quantification tool. But that's really what Agrable the platform is. So pretty exciting times. And again, a lot of work still being done on Agrable and it's been a great platform and hoping to connect into others to again, make that data entry piece simpler, right? One thing I always preach is that, you know, we can have as good of a platform for entering manual data as possible. The best UX out there. Nobody wants to enter manual data, right? If the data is somewhere, we just want to click a button and move it over. Why can't we move it over from some of these other platforms? And so that's what we always hear from farmers. That's some of the stuff we're really working on to 
decrease that burden on our crop consultants, on our growers, and 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 on me and you, Sally. Right. right so right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Look, Jack. One question I've got. This came from a grower I had the other day. He says, "You know, I'm not really at this point interested in a carbon market or some of those type things, but I do know that I need to get ready for that." If you had heard that statement from a grower, what would be your advice to the grower on the data side on what does he need to do now to get ready? That's a great question, and I think just in the way the marketplace is, right? There's an argument to be had that some people feel this is a land grab where every company is trying to grab farmers and be able to enroll them long term. I don't really know if it is. I think there's a lot of hype around it right now, but I think we hear that comment a lot, right? You know, maybe not yet. The best thing to do as a farmer right now is start keeping good records. Even if it's not necessarily carbon, there's going to be other opportunities, I think, out there from a traceability standpoint, from a sustainability standpoint, a lot of the conversations being had out there with downstream companies, just being able to track what's being done with your food, right? I mean, a lot of consumers asking those questions out there. And so I think just record keeping in general, whether it's carbon or not, there's going to be opportunities out there for extra revenue streams for farmers. And I think that's going to be a big thing. Again, there's going to be more of a dollar value placed on your data. And I think that's going to be the important thing here going forward. So... So Tom, I know you signed up for Agrable on your farm. I think I have my backyard in Agrable. So I get my emails every morning about whether or not I should be spraying or planting or doing other activities in my backyard every day. How long did that take you to sign up for Tom? And then Jack, how can growers get signed up for Agrable and start down that journey of data collection? Anybody that knows me knows that I'm not the most technology savvy guy that's ever been around, right? So I'm 62 years old and most guys in my generation are a little less driven to technology as others, but I found it to be very simple. And Jack, I know there's a lot of work being done on the Agrible platform today, putting in borders and boundaries and getting stuff that can be just, as you said, click and bring in. But to me, it's not a hard process and it's a great place to store stuff. And I guess the key thing to remember too, guys, is it's my data. So Nutrien doesn't have access to it unless I tell Nutrien they have access to it, right? So it does have privacy and it is my data to choose to do what I choose to do with it. You know, anybody can really sign up too. And, you know, honestly, Tom, not to poke fun at you, but when I go to a farm visit, usually there gets to be three or four people in there and you're my target for the guy that there's always some guy that hides in the corner when I'm trying to like take out technology, right? That's me. You know, maybe a little older, right? Little technology averse. And that's the guy because it's so simple, right? Like I target that because you know, hey, that guy can do it. Well, anybody can do it. It works well. And again, that's something that it is very simple. Like I was saying there, anybody can sign up. And really, if you go to sign up, there is a promo code you can enter in. The promo code is Nutrient Carbon. So no spaces in there, but it's Nutrient Carbon. We'll put that, I think, in the description of the episode here too. But if anybody wants to go sign up, start keeping records yourself, start adding data, or just start adding fields to start getting rainfall data and just play around with Agrable, anybody's more than welcome to do that. Just go to the website, go to agrable.com, click on sign up, and then uh, you enter in your promo code Nutrient Carbon. You can start signing up. And really, if you had historical data from the last year, you can enter that in into Field Story and actually go in and get a field to market report on your farm, right? You can get sustainability metrics and just start playing around with that too. So reach out to your crop consultant, but that promo code will work for you and get signed up. <laughs> 
Jack, we have covered a lot of ground today on data and requirements and talked about some of the challenges we have in the field and ways we can help growers and crop consultants through those challenges. What are some of the remote sensing or other tools that Nutrient Ag Solutions is exploring in order to get away from this manual entry or even having to worry about connecting to another data collection platform, but really just kind of getting it right in there from some drone or other remote sensing opportunities that are out there? That's a great question. And, and really one of the things there we're looking for is scalability, right? And so we're looking at some various satellite imagery technologies that are out there. We're actually doing some work on being able to try to quantify soil organic carbon using some remote sensing, some satellite imagery. So that's one of the things we're looking at. But along with that is if we can tell if there's a cover crop growing or we can tell that there was tillage events out there, that is the biggest gap even when you look at other data collection platforms. And so... It allows a grower to not have to enter that data manually, but it can help validate if they do. We've done some testing on some of these remote sensing where we can see where tillage event takes place and the grower entered an incorrect date and it's very clear, right? Or they said it was no-till and they clearly tilled. So some of that stuff can help us validate, but also can eliminate some of the manual data entry. So looking at a lot of remote sensing that way and some of those technologies, and then also looking at different ways we can stratify the soil and be able to scale some of the soil testing, there's some different soil sensor technologies we're taking a hard look at at some various locations. And um, we've got a lot of promise there and hopefully that'll continue. So a lot of focus in carbon. And again, it's the hype and it's a new hot topic, but that also means a lot of money coming in and a lot of new technology. So we're evaluating really everything out there, taking a hard look at things and hopefully that can ease the burden of data entry, but also make us more accurate, make these carbon models more accurate too, right? More data is always better when it comes to these different models and testing them. Well, Jack, as the technology goes, it certainly seems like there's a lot out there to get excited about right now. And I work with a fellow pretty regularly who's a figure in the ag industry. He likes to say, if you haven't been on a farm in the last five years, you haven't been on a farm. And certainly a lot of the practices and technology that we're talking today here illustrate that perfectly. But thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Jack Broadshog, Senior Principal Digital Agronomist from Nutrient Ag Solutions. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Future Faster. That is going to conclude this edition of The Future Faster, the pursuit of sustainable success with Nutrient Ag Solutions. New episodes arrive every other week, so make sure you subscribe in your favorite app and join us again soon. Visit futurefaster.com to learn more. The Future Faster podcast is brought to you by Nutrient Ag Solutions with executive producer Connor Irwin and editing by Larry Kilgore III. And it's produced by Podcamp Media, branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. For Nutrient Ag Solutions, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.